Amen. God turned it around. He's turning things around. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. When I start to think about things and recall things that I need God to intervene on, he's turning it around. Amen? Even if you can't see it, he's working. The Bible says he worked behind the scenes, working on situations that we don't even know about. My God, thank you so much for our band and our worship leader. We're so grateful for them. Father God, have your way. Lead us in the way of righteousness. Let us hear your word. Let us receive your word. Let us apply your word that we may leave this place different. That you may get all the glory and all the honor because we're here to proclaim your name, Jesus. You are to be lifted up and lifted up high because you said if you are lifted up, you'll draw all men to you. So we lift you up today that you may get the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Can you uh, meet me in 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3, that's right after 1 Peter, right uh, after James. So you got James, 1 Peter, and 2 Peter in the New Testament. You have James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter in the New Testament, and we're in chapter 3, chapter 3 of 2 Peter, 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 when you have it, can you please say amen? Amen. So we are so grateful for uh, the young lady that is on um, the streaming device who says she uh, connected with us for the back-to-school event. So thank you so much for um, coming today and visit um, and worship with us uh, as we've seen your name on Facebook. So we thank you so much for coming out, and we pray, and we are grateful to God that we can be a blessing to you to give your children the supplies they needed to be successful in our back-to-school event. Uh, we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, 17 and 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, You therefore, beloved, since you've known this beforehand, be aware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with error of wicked." But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. I would like this morning to speak to you from the topic, don't forget. Don't forget. As we continue to look at our theme for this year, growing in the word of God, there's some things that I have to remind us, and there's things that this text remind us to don't forget, to not to forget. Peter writes this second letter to address some of the problems that were coming from within the body of believers. Peter writes this second letter uh, that is addressing some problems that were coming within the church in the body of believers, through the body of believers. His first letter, 1 Peter, um, deal with problems that were happening outside of the church um, from those who are false teachers. But now he addresses this issue um, that is going on amongst the believers in the body of Christ. This problem was coming from false teachers. 
that, that had wiggled their, their way into the body of believers. Uh, we, 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 we look at that. These, these false teachers, they, they didn't come in with, 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 with um, false teacher on a chest. They, did, they didn't come in bold and, and proclaiming false gospel. They came in just like you and me. They, they were regular, normal people that, that just came in the body of the church, but they, they came with motives to turn the people of God away from God. And Paul and Peter here, he, he addresses these false teachers that, that wiggled themselves into the church. Look how Paul, I mean, how Peter talked about them. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Turn over to 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 1. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, but now we're going to look at some references in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Look how, look how, look how Peter uh, uh, talk about these false uh, teachers. He said, but there were also false prophets, same as teachers among the people, even as there were to be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresy." even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destructions. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the, uh, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. But covetousness, they, they will exploit you with deceitful words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. He says, look, these, these, these false teachers have wiggled themselves into the church to, to deceive the body of believers. So he says, he, he addresses the, the problem within. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, and we're looking at the title, Don't Forget Him. And Peter here let the, the believers know that they, we have these false teachers that have crept in the body of believers to turn believers away from God. And Clinton, and those who are under the sound of my voice today, don't be naive. The enemy have sent false teachers here in Clinton Baptist Church. And if they're not here yet, he will send them here. And these teachers, don't get it twisted, that won't only be pastors. There'll be regular church members that, that, that come in and, and join the church and, 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 and get friends with you and, and, and join ministries to deceive the believers in the body of Christ. And it's happening in church after church. But what we do, we put a target on, on the preacher back, on a, on a teacher back, on a pastor back, on a leader's back, like we the only ones that are false teachers. No, we got some false teachers sitting among you. That motives is to turn you away from God, to twist you away from God, to lure you away from God. Look at your neighbor on the right side. Look at your neighbor on the left side. They may be false teachers. They may be here to deceive you. And Peter writes about this. And he writes about it from a perspective of an internal perspective. This is not an external perspective. This is inside the house of God. 
this inside the, the worship center. The, the, these false teachers will be in Bible study. They will be in small groups. They will be in youth classes. They will be in young adult class. They will be in leadership. They will be in the owner usher ministry. They will be in a choir. He says that this is a problem that's happening inside of the church. And it's not only a biblical problem because it's happening today. And Peter writes to address these false teachers. He writes here to let us know, don't forget. And there, when I look at that word forget, there's an interesting word. Because it's some things in life that we want to forget. Some tragedies that happen to us. Some issues that, that came up that we, we want to forget. Some people that we were involved with, we want to forget. Some husbands or some wives we had to let loose, we want to forget. Some boyfriends or some, some girlfriends we want to forget. It's some things in our life that, that we want to forget. But Peter says, here's the important thing. I have something that you should not forget. And he gives us three present imperatives to let us know that not to forget. Watch this. He gives us two present imperatives, and I'll explain that in a minute, of not to forget. The first thing he says that we should not forget is that we should not forget to stay on guard. Look what he says in verse number 17. Verse number 17, he says, and we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 17 and 18. My title is Don't Forget. He says, here's the first thing he tells us not to forget in verse 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, be aware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of weakness. Look what he says. He says here in the text, he says, you already know this. Peter says, I have explained this over and over and over again. You have been hearing this every single Sunday when I step up to preach about how we ought to be uh, careful and be watchful over false teachers that come in and how we ought to grow in the word of God. Peter says, you already know this. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, you already know this. You, you, you already know this, and look what he says. Be aware. This, this word, be aware, in the in original text actually means to be on guard. Be, be watchful. Be attentive. Be observant. Don't have no bend at the end, but it sounds good. He says, look. You, 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 we ought to, as Christians, we ought to be on guard. And we have a huge problem in the body of Christ. Because a large percentage of us in Christ have become complacent. We have become lax. We have left our duties. We are, we are not on guard no more. We, we're not watching 
anything. We, we are so busy with our own stuff. We are so busy doing our own thing. We are so busy trying to make it. We are so busy trying to be famous. We are so busy trying to be known. We are so busy trying to get a bag that we have let our guard down. And he says to these believers, stay on guard. Stay on guard. Stay watchful. Stay attentive. Don't fall asleep on your post. We have a lot of sleeping Christians have fallen asleep on a post. He says, stay on God. Because we have let the culture and society desensitize us to wickedness. That we, we don't even challenge wickedness no more. We, 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 we don't even challenge it no more. We so desensitized to the, to the wickedness in this world, we don't even challenge it no more. We don't even stand on the word of God to challenge Because you know what? I don't want to offend nobody. Yeah, I'm offending you. The gospel of Jesus Christ offend you. You are a sinner. You are in sin. You are dead. You have no life in you, and you need Jesus. If that ain't offensive, I don't know what is. And he says that we are to stay on guard. We are to be watchful. We are to be on duty. We are to stay on guard. And we're not staying on guard only to watch ourselves. We stand on God to watch the body of Christ. Because guess what? The pastor can't refute every wrong, wrong doctrine. He can't refute every wrong theology. This is what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to learn and implement it. So when you hear stuff, you hold on, baby. Well, well show me that in Scripture. I, 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 like I say all the time, here's my favorite things. I don't care what your feelings is. I don't care what your preference is. I don't care how you love it, your love is. If it ain't on scripture, I don't want to hear it. Because your preference and your feelings have nothing to do with me because I stand on the word of God. And he says that we have to stay on guard. We have to stay on God. Me and my wife was out of town last week, and we went to the beach. And when I got to the beach, first thing I looked for, well, where's the lifeguard booth? I, I need to know where the lifeguard's at. I, I, I don't know about y'all, I can swim, but I can't do no ocean swimming. So I need to know, do I have any witness out there? I need to know where is the person on God? I, I need to know that. And I looked, and, and guess what? Nobody was on guard. So guess what Pastor Pew did? Sat right there in the sand. I, I, I ain't no fool. I, if ain't nobody on guard, I'm, I'm going to stay away from the dangers. And we don't have a time to fall asleep because it's people that are drowning. It's people that, that are going through that, that you see that's in the church today, but not in the church tomorrow. It's people that have been swore away, swayed away, and wiggled away, and woven away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And you know they have been on fire for God. And now they got caught up in this wave that now drowning them, and now they no longer in the faith. And he says, you got, we got to stay on guard. We got to stay on guard. We got to be attentive. 
We got to be watchful. Watch this. We got to stay on guard. Look, 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 look what Peter says. Look what Peter says in verse, in chapter 2, verse 8. When Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, and my title is Don't Forget, and we see the first thing he says, don't forget to stay on guard. Don't forget to stay on guard in verse 17. But look what he say in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 8. Turn to chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says, for that the righteous man, and this mankind, this mean man or woman, the righteous man or woman, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. This is what he's saying. He says that, that, that the righteous people, watch this, are disturbed by what they see. He says that the, the righteous person, the, 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 the one who's living uh, uh, according to God's will, the one who's trying to, to walk the walk of Jesus Christ, the one who is walking in the spirit, he says when he sees evil or she sees evil, they spirit, watch this, are devastated. They, 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 they hurt. And I ask you as a Christian, are you hurt when you see wickedness and sin? Are you, are you deeply hurt or are you just okay? Because if you okay with it, then that means you got desensitized. And that means that you have left your post. If you're not disturbed by what we see out here. If you're not disturbed about schools telling young children that, you, that it's okay to live a lifestyle that God don't agree with, then you're you out of touch. If you're okay with, with the way that they talking about that you can, now you got people that's walking around with guns and everybody got guns, we are out of touch spiritually. That is not right. If you're okay with, 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 with politicians just lying, just flat out lying, and we still vote for them, we got a problem. We have been desensitized. If you got a problem where they can't teach black history in schools, we got a problem. If we got, if we got a problem, if you think that, that schools can't teach about how racism still exists today and how African-American kids are being treated by the police and by other government officials and by the health fair and also the government politics and all those other things. We have a problem. Says that, hey, sensitize. We just sensitize. He says, stay on God. Stay on God. Says not only stay on God, the second present imperative he give us is he says in verse number 18. So he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says, don't forget, don't forget to stay on guard. That's the first present imperative. And I'm going to explain present imperative in a minute. The second present imperative he give us is he says, don't forget to grow in Christ. And this is verse 18. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says in verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Look what he says. Look what he says. He says that don't forget to grow in Christ. Don't forget to grow in your walk, in your relationship with Christ. He says, don't forget and watch this, this, this present imperative that I talked about, the one that, that don't forget to, 
to, um, to stay on God. And, and the other one in verse 18, don't forget to grow in Christ. These are present imperative. A present imperative in the Greek language, it means a continual command. Okay? That's a present imperative. Imperative is a command, but when it's present, it means it's continual. It means it's always with you. It's like the word is. Is is always in the present tense. Okay? God never was. He always is. He is God. He is a healer. He is faithful. He is the creator. He is a way maker. He is our Lord and Savior. Always in the isness, the present. So this present imperative means a command that's always present. Okay? Y'all didn't get it. So let me make it a little simple. Let me give you an example. You went to the doctor, and your doctor said you need to eat less salt. He's not talking about when you leave the doctor and you go to Chick-fil-A and get the, the french fries that one time. This is a continual thing. He's not saying just eat less salt today. He's saying your blood pressure is high and you need to eat less salt. It's a present imperative, meaning a command that continues for the rest of your life. Y'all need another example? I mean, do y'all get me? Okay, there's a present imperative. So this, this is not a one-time thing. This is a present imperative. It means a command, ongoing command. Ongoing command is to stay on guard, and ongoing command is to grow in Christ. It says that we, we, we are to, don't forget to grow in Christ. Don't forget to grow in your relationship with God. Don't forget to grow in your walk with God. Look what he says. He says here that but grow in the grace of and the knowledge of God. He says that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. Now, when he says grow in grace, that stumbled me because how can you grow in merited favor? That's nothing we can do to grow in merited favor with God because God's grace is given. So we can't grow in that. But what he does is he uses word grace as favor. So what he's saying is grow in the favor of God. So the way we grow in the favor of God is how we experience God. Oh, my God. So look at this. So the way we grow in our favor of God is how we experience God. When you experience God in, your, in his favorness upon you, then you grow even more in his grace. Oh, y'all ain't getting it. Okay, here it is. Here it is. I, I, I was out. Y'all know I take July off as a sabbatical every year. I take July off as a sabbatical. And, and I was out uh, doing things and, you know, just having fun, enjoying my time, not worried about church, worried about a sermon, just enjoying my, my month off. And I was out one day cutting the grass. And I was cutting the grass, and as I was cutting the grass, I got a phone call because I had my earbuds in. I'm listening to my music. And I was cutting the grass, I got a phone call. And I got a phone call by a, a, a guy named James Stewart, who I know as Jimbo. Jimbo is from New Orleans, a good friend of mine. And um, he called me, he said, Pastor Pugh, I see you on vacation, because he followed me on Facebook. I said, yeah. He said, man, you did a wonderful job with your deck. I said, I know, I know, I did, I know. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's for those who follow me. So anyway, and I said, man, thanks so much. And he said, man, I want to offer you a job. He says, I have a job for you. He says, we have come to create a job for you to do. You have a whiteboard. We have no policies, no procedures. We have nothing. We just know we need you on our team. 
And I'm like, what? Y'all get it in a minute. I'm, I, I'm, I'm like, what? I, I didn't apply for a job. As a matter of fact, I had no, no, no desire for a job. And it's with the Baptist Convention. We're part of Southern Baptist uh, Convention, so it's with them. And he says, no, 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 it's not leaving your church or anything. He says, I just want you to be a consultant. And I said, well, who am I consultant? He says, I want you to be an urban African-American replant and revitalization consultant. That's what churches that are dead, that, that they got pastors, and, and I come in and consult them to try to help them bring their church back to life. And I said, well, I can't do that. That's only Jesus can do that. And they said, well, we already seen what you're doing at Clinton, and we want you, to, we want you on our team. So we created a job for you. See, this is what I'm saying. So, so, so watch this. This is the favor of God. See, by my experience, I didn't even apply for a job. I wasn't even looking for a job. I wasn't even thinking about a job. But God's favor just showed up on my doorstep. Just had them to call me and create a position for me. Oh, my God, this, this is God's favor. I, I don't know about you, but I went and told my wife, I said, boo, God done did something. He didn't work some work. She said, what did he do? I said, God done gave me a job, that, 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 and I ain't even applied for it. He, he didn't put me in a position that I had no intentions of going in, and then they told me, guess what? You just do what you do. Oh, my God. That's just, oh, my God. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. And that's God's favor. And he says that we are to grow in our walk with God. And when we experience God, guess what? We grow in his favor. Because the more you're around God, the more favor you see. See, your favor may not be like mine, but your favor is when your car started today. Because there are a lot of people that got brand new cars and turn it on, king, 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 and king, 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 and it don't start. But when yours start right up and the seats are nice and cool and you got the air blowing on you and your hair is flowing like Beyonce and you got your favorite song on gospel song coming to church, that's the favor of God. He says when you experience God, you experience his favor. If your kids woke up this morning, you got the favor of God. If you got out the bed this morning, you've seen the favor of God. If you got a little change in your pocket, you've seen the favor of God. If your limbs are working, you have seen the favor of God. He said you got to grow in your relationship and your favor of God. You got to grow. The more we hang with God, the more we see his favor. Oh, my God. My God, I just want to rub up on God so I can see his favor. The more you hang out with God, the more he just wave his favor, just wave it over you. Huh, you want favor? Here it is. You want favor? There it go. He says that we ought to grow in grace, God's favor. How do we grow in the favor? We grow in favor by hanging out with him, by growing in our walk, because we get to see God do some things that we never thought he can do. Do I have any witness? Had God did anything out there that you never know he can do? I mean, I just, uh, let me call up some people. Anybody ever been healed by God that you thought you weren't going to make it out of? 
Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. That's favor of God. God can do some things that you never thought he can do. He can pay some bills that you never thought you was going to get out. I had some friends that did the uh, student loan thing, and no one got it that I know, but them two got like $70,000. God can do it. And when they call me, we start dancing. Dun, 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 because God can do some things that you don't believe he can do because it's his favor. And the more we experience God, the more we see his favor. He said that we ought to grow. We ought to grow in our relationship with God. But to grow, not only in our favor, God, he says, look at this, grow also in our knowledge of God. Man, he said, grow in our knowledge of God. You know what burns me up? Well, it don't burns me up, but it's sad. When, I'm, when I run in and interact with people, and they say, yeah, I've been in church 20 years. I've been in church 30 years. That don't impress me no more. That don't impress me. Especially when the, when the old people say, the older people say, boy, I learned more of the Bible. I forgot more of the Bible than you know. Okay. Yeah, you've been living longer than me. But that, that, that's sad to me. Because what it, what it tells me is that, yeah, you've been in the worship a long time, but do you know God? Because he said you got to grow in your knowledge. You got to grow in your intellect, your cognitive understanding of God. Do you know God? And then we can't know God to the fullest, but his Bible lets us know him and let us experience him and get to know how he is and how he loves us unconditionally. It doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God loves you. He loves you. The Romans tells us that he loves us so much. Even when we was in sin, he died on a cross for you and me. He loves us. Do you know God? Because what I'm finding out, a lot of people who've been in church a long time don't know God. You know a little scripture that's out of context. You can quote a lot of scripture, but you don't quote them in the right quarter. They out of context. No, I'm not asking you, do you know scripture? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him? And he says that we are to grow in our knowledge of God. We are to grow in our knowledge of God. How are you going to be Christian 20 years and you don't even know God? You don't even know what God like and what he don't like. You ask me right now, man, Jeanette been together 30 some years. You ask me what she like, I'll tell you. You ask me what she don't like, I'll tell you. And you, man, it may change from year to year. You know, you know how they are. You know, but guess what? I know if you ask her what I don't like and what I like, she'll tell you straight up. But what about you when it comes to God? He says grow in your knowledge of God. Grow in your knowledge of God. Don't just have a cognitive knowledge of God like I know God, but really know him. Have that intimate relationship with him. This is not just a cognitive knowledge of God. This is an intimate relationship with him. He said, this is intimate. This is an intimate relationship with him. I was listening to a video with LeBron James and him. And LeBron James said that in his wedding, they had some wedding crashes. When him and his wife got married, they had some wedding crashes. And everybody started laughing. They was like, well, how did you know they were wedding crashed because you had about three, 400 people at your wedding. You, you know, they bring other people. He says, 
we realized that they were wedding crashers because when they called one of my friend's name, they used his real name. And we don't call him that. So when they used his real name, we knew that they don't know us. So they were wedding crashers. Y'all get it? A lot of people know God, but don't know him. He says that this is not just a cognitive knowledge of God. This is a, a, a intimate relationship. He says, grow in your knowledge of God. How do we grow in our knowledge of God? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm glad you asked that. He said, how do we grow in our knowledge of God? The ushers gave us a, a, a handout that I just want to um, just go over this handout. And this handout is for you. How do we, we grow in our knowledge of God? Where's my hand? Thanks, dude. So here it is, here it is. How do we grow in our knowledge of God? How do we grow in our intimacy with God? First, you got to get in the word of God. You got to know the Bible. You got to know the Bible. Here it is. And, and I, I, got, I wrote some things down. It says, know your Bible. First, we looked at the uniqueness of the Bible. Look at uniqueness of the Bible. Unique in its own design. The Bible is unique in its own design. There are 66 books in the Bible. You need to know this. There are 66 books in the Bible. Each completes itself and each complements the whole. So that means they're individual books that are complete, but they all make one story. 66 books. And then it goes down. It's two divisions or two covenants, what they call it. The Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's 39 books in the Bible. In the New Testament, it's 27 books in the Bible. You need to know this. This is the canon of Scripture, the closed canon of Scripture. If it ain't in the Bible, it ain't Scripture. Now, there are other books like the, the, uh, the Apocrypha and the book of Maccabees. Those things are not, um, um, uh, um, those things are not divine scripture, but it's good for historical background, but not the, 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 the divine scripture. So he says you need to know this. He says that it's unique in its, in its composition. It was written over a span of 1,600 years from, from 15 B.C. to 100 A.D., said it was written by at least 40 authors from different walks of life. Then it go into political leaders, Samuel, um, and Daniel, and uh, Nehemiah. And then it go to military leaders, Joshua, and religious leader, uh, Samuel, I mean Solomon for the political leader, I'm sorry, Samuel, Ezra, Paul, and the fishermen, Peter and John, and the, uh, the physician Luke. And it was written in three different languages. You got the Old Testament, Hebrew, the New, uh, and some Aramaic in um, Ezra and Daniel, and Greek in the New Testament. It was written during difficult and emotional and physical circumstances, in times of war and in times of peace, from height to elevation of death and despair, and is unique in its unity. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible bears witness of one God. It ain't no polytheism. That means multiple gods. There's only one God. And he came here and lived for 33 years without sin to be the sacrificial lamb to die on a cross that you and I may experience the God. That's him. One God. So when the Muslims try to tell you, oh, we got the same God. No, we don't. 
No, we do not. Let's make that clear. Your God is not my God. And when people say, oh, we serve the same God, no, well, tell me who your God is, because I know who mine is. And if you ain't talking about Jesus, then we don't serve the same God. Because he is my God. He is the one that saved my soul. The Bible is about one. He says, from the beginning to the end, the Bible has one great theme, the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, you see a shadow of Jesus Christ, and in the Old Testament, it comes to manifestation. You see Jesus all through it. When the animals get sacrificed, that was Jesus. When animal blood was shed, that was a shadow of to come of Jesus' blood being shed. When the temple was, was built and they had the beam going all the way through the temple, that was Jesus being the beam of us all the way through our Christian relationship. Everything is designated on Jesus Christ and his finished work. So this is about the Bible. It's unique in its translations. The Old Testament was the first book that was translated by the Septuagint, which means 70. The Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures in two, and, um, two, 250 B.C. The Bible has a translation and, uh, and, prof, um, and paraphrases more than any other Bible in existence, any other book in existence. The entire Bible has been translated in 724 languages. The New Testament has been translated into 1,617 languages. It's unique in its uh, and it's uh, circulation, um, and that the Bible was the first uh, was the first to be printed by um, John Gettenberg, and small portions of the Bible is unique in its preservations. Look at this in Matthew chapter 24, 32, it, 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 35. It talks about the time where the Bible was being burnt and destroyed, and people tried to destroy it, but God preserved the Word of God. The Bible lasts through rough times, through persecution, through critical attacks. It's also unique in its influence. The Bible is the most recognized and the most often quote by book in the world. The supernatural character of the Bible is based, um, best demonstrated through the testimony of lives which have been changed through his message. This is just a small portion. Know God. How do I know God? I got to know the word of God. I got to know what I'm reading. You got to know the books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. got to know how to read the Bible. And how do I do that? Through Bible study. How do I do that? Through, through, through small groups, through men classes and women classes and come together and learning. You know, another thing that burned me up, I, 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 it's sick of me when people, when I call people, I say, hey man, I, 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 I would like for you to get connected in this class. And they say, well, that's a, that, 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 that's a new Christian class. Huh? That, that's, for, that's for baby Christians. What? You always can learn about God. I don't care how long you've been with God. You always can know. Because some things I can tell you that you won't even know about, like poly, polytheism. You don't know what that is. I just learned what it is when I went to college. We got to grow. And he says, look, he says, don't forget to grow. And the way we grow in our relationship with God is we got to be connected with God. We got to have our personal time aside with God. We got to spend quality time with God in prayer, in reading, in fasting, in studying the word of God. We got to get connected in Bible study. That's why we make Bible study. I always say, if you ain't growing here at Clinton, you don't want to grow. 
because we make every opportunity available for you to grow. He says that we have to grow. Don't forget to grow. And he says this. Watch this. This is why he said, and I'm done. This is why he said this. Look at verse number 17. He says, don't forget. In verse 17, he said, don't forget to, be, to stay on God. And he said, don't forget to grow. And look at the end of verse 17. He says, because also, he says, you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of wickedness. Here it is. This is the rebuttal or the combat to not being tricked by the false teachers. The false teachers' seductive influence will trick you if you don't stay on God and if you don't grow. If you stay on God and you grow and you grow, guess what? You won't be led away. And there's so many. This word led away doesn't mean losing your salvation. It means that you denounce your convictions. That's what it means. It doesn't mean, because once you save, you always save. So this led away means the convictions of God is no longer your convictions. So when you can't stand on convictions, you'll stand on anything. You'll stand on anything. I had an opportunity to sit on an ordination board. Pastors get called to sit on an ordination board when, when pastors, when ministers get ordained. I was sitting on the ordination board, and we have an opportunity with this board. It's usually about 10 pastors, and a, and a person or, or who, how many people being ordained would sit in front of us, and, and they ask you doctrinal questions. Tell me about salvation. Tell me about the, the doctrine of women in ministry. Tell me about the doctrine of the Trinity. Tell me about the eschatology, the doctrine of end times. What is, what is your doctrine on this? And look what happened. And the person that was there, every time somebody say something, he'd go with it. And I wouldn't sign off on it. Because I say he had no convictions. I wouldn't sign off on it. Because you got to know what you stand. If you don't stand on the truth, you're standing on a lie. And every Everything else is a lie outside of God. Everything else. Everything else. Your feelings will lie to you. Y'all don't believe me? Look at, look at some of them people you dated that you thought you loved. Now you can't stand their guts. Your feelings will lie to you. But God will not lie. And if we're going to grow in the word of God, don't forget to stay on God. And don't forget to grow in your relationship with him. Amen?